Welcome to Self-Discovery Radio, where the discovery of self is just a show away. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Their Story Matters with Sarah Troy and my guest, Arthur Shade. We're going to be talking about the demons of war, religious confusion, and post-traumatic stress disorder. Something that is really never seems to go away, does it? Um, We see religions starting wars, we see uh, religions continuing wars, we see wars um, over religion, and what we end up with, a hell of a lot of people in post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, The demons of war and the confusion over religion and misunderstandings of the post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, war and religions are not only killing us, but they're fighting those who are fighting for peace and sometimes way beyond repair. Uh, Where is the dignity? Where is the value of life? And if there is a God, surely he does not stand for death. He stands for peace. I love what the Pope says. I don't care what faith you are as long as it's based in love and kindness. So we're going to take Arthur's journey today. Um, He enlisted in the Marines um, for the Vietnam War. And... um, you know, that war was a dirty war in many, many aspects and, and was a war that never should have happened, as most wars don't. And he received an honorable discharge, and he did as many other veterans did. He went and worked in many different jobs until he landed a position at a bank um, repossessing cars. After five years, he achieved the level of bank uh, branch manager, but still uncertain of his career, um, he, decide, he decided he was offered a position at IBM as a collection administrator, which he transformed into a very successful 30-year executive marketing business development and sales, often requiring global travel. So he's at the peak of his career, and he um, yielded to decades of post-traumatic stress disorder and sought medical treatment. He retired from IBM but was determined to help others by writing about the two questions that haunted him since Vietnam. How to break the stigma of post-traumatic stress disorder and how a loving God allows such atrocities and barbaric actions of war. He has written a couple of books, uh, one book in particular and a few wonderful articles, and we are going to be really looking deep down into all of this today and what we really can do about it. It's, It's not... You know, we we talk about cancer as if it's a common cold today, and we're looking at post-traumatic stress disorder. It's just like, oh yeah, I've got that, and it's like, no, we shouldn't be looking at it and accepting it and saying I've got it. It should be, how do we prevent it? What are we doing wrong that we're not helping people uh, prevent it, get through through it, stopping the wars, um, stopping the the excuse of religion for war? Um, there's so much here to talk about. And as a war vet, he's seen it from the other side. So let's really get right into it. Arthur, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Sarah. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, I mean, the Vietnam War, you know, so much protesting going on about it, still confusion of why you were there. Um, You know, I've spoken to a lot of people that were there and the various different types of stories. And, um, you know... 
quite honestly, war is never an answer, is it? No, it isn't. It's unfortunate that as far as we think we've advanced, we still go to war too often. Yeah. Uh, so we, I'm, I'm wondering, we may have advanced in technology, but in the arena of mankind, I'm, I'm not sure how much we're advancing. Yes, yeah, so, you know, there is a conscious awakening going on right now, which is wonderful. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and people are becoming more sensory aware and kind of realizing, you know, they, you know this is wrong, my, my attitude is wrong, my perspective is wrong. And, you know, there are those um, intellects that are being divinely driven uh, that are being guided into this new consciousness of stepping up and, and saying no more. Um, but we still have, you know, evidence of people that their answer to everything is kill, kill, kill. Um, and that's there partly because they simply love the violence. But then we've got to remember how much profit there is in war. For the exactly. Few. Yes. And that's really where the driving force is, isn't it? There is uh, probably, if you look back on all wars, it comes to uh, economic factors and uh, you know, who has what uh, resources and how do we get them and how do we split this country up after a war? And as you see in the Middle East, I mean, the lines are just drawn and you have all these cultures living together or not living together, forced to live together. So it's hard to look back and say that um, even if you look back at World War II, there's a lot of sadness that happened after World War II also. Uh, it did boost the economy. Uh, arms sales, even. Um, and it was prosperous back then, but, but I think the timing was right for it to be prosperous. You don't find that too often after other wars that we've been in after uh, World War II. Well, World War II really kind of brought about some new technologies that kind of went on to be, and even like the, the television, for instance, um, the computer, you know, the first coding for the computer. It was kind of the, the seeding of of new technologies that serve us today and those type of things don't come about unless there is a desperate need such as a war true and and the other thing that you have to think about is that if we have technology out there today uh, in the hands of people then you know the governments around the world have technology in their hands and doing things that we have no idea what you know what they're doing so it's kind of scary. It's kind of good. Uh, spending 28 years in IBM, it was uh, always challenging for me, and I enjoyed the change in technology. But even back 20 years ago, technology changed every five years. Now it's changing every six months. Five minutes, I think. <laughs> it, it, it is. I mean, there's so many things to do, but when you, when you think of the... Um, the impact that it has, there's a lot of positives, but then you lose a lot of things also with the technology, and it's it's changing so fast you cannot even keep up with it. Yeah, I mean, we talk about this a lot in shows of how, you know, um, social medias and the Instagrams and the instant Twitters, you know, are, are killing conversation, killing interaction. And, uh, you know, people are having an inability to actually understand the depth of a conversation and the requirement of time in, in gathering knowledge. Um, and, uh, you know, that is something we're seeing, especially amongst our youth. And it's there are future leaders. And, you know, if they look to everything as being a resolve from a, a Twitter statement or an Instagram picture, you know, we're in trouble. 
Exactly. That's, and that's their lifestyle. Everything is instantaneous, and everything should be done within 140 characters. Yeah. And uh, some things take a little more than that, don't they? <laughs> yeah, they, they should anyhow. But it's, it's funny because it's, I was just having a conversation with someone the other day when we were talking about technology, and the fact that, is that even as it comes to people writing books, people writing stories, um, thus forget the people that write a book and are on Oprah, you know, the next day. But for the average person to make a dollar thirty off a book being sold on Kindle, it's going to be difficult to find authors that want to put in time and make a living on that. You talk about starving authors, you're going to really have them. But the, the other thing is, I don't think there's an area that technology cannot... Uh, overcome. They, we have computers now writing technical books. Mm-hmm. There are computers that can write stories already, short stories. And if, if you think, and if you take uh, a writer like Daniel Steele and take that normal theme that she has throughout it, you put the variables into the computer and the computer, you know, it turns out uh, a story, a book. Mm-hmm. But that's real. That's today. It's not going on today as far as normal books are, but uh, it's already starting in technology, and it's, uh, you know, there's no job out there that is safe from technology. Exactly, and, you know, the thing is, is that, um, you know, we, it's great to have technology that helps and assists us in our work, in our advancement, but we are dangerously making ourselves obsolete. I mean, when you see these sci-fi movies, of, you know, of the, you know, of the, robots so-called taking over um yes the way we're going that is something you know they'll never have the human interaction there's always the human side of things except for people are becoming so robotic um you know it's it's a danger there is a warning sign out there and we really have to stop our dependency on it and uh, remember that you know as a human being that's a gift in itself and we need to honor that gift and make sure we are uh, participatory and, uh, and and interactive with life. Exactly, I agree. I, and I'm an optimistic. I'm a you know. There's there's a lot of great stuff for technology, but I I believe it's not going to be in the t- too far distant future that even without um, without uh, nuclear bombs, we'll probably have more weapons with lasers and stuff, but all those sci-fi movies seem to be coming true in a yes. lot of ways. Yes. And that, you know, we have the Star Trek, we have the Jetsons type of stuff, and it's here, and the only drawback is is that, you know, the technology to destroy us is also there. Exactly. So, you know, it, you don't want to spend time pondering on it, but... You must like be to, aware. Too bad we just can't say, yeah, just too bad we can't say technology is great, it's doing wonderful things for us. And, you know, this is the thing, as as you're saying about the wars, you know, now you've got the droids, you know, the the drones. um, And, you know, that, I mean, why drones are in the hands of of regular people, I don't know, because now you have voyeurism and intrusion and, uh, you know, different form of murder apparatuses, um, government spying on you. Um, You know, it's it's getting more to that sci-fi of that intrusion, you know, and, and domination and intimidation. Um, you know, the big brother. Um, and again, is that we have to look at where do we draw the line and what is 
the basis of everything because when we look at religion and war um, there's greed in there there's power in there but there's also control you control the masses with um, you know the, with the religions you control the masses with fear and the way we're going now we seem to be like technology and big brother becoming that new form of control yes and it's becoming that control very quickly yeah things that are brought to the surface we know about but um, things are being done that we don't know about and unfortunately I think that's going to be a world that we that we start to become I think when you look at uh, some of the other uh, sci-fi movies where people are almost robotic and have you know chips in them and mm -hmm. all stuff, um, that's going to be here it's it, some of it's here already today. Now, how you implement it across and control people, it just seems too easy. Yes. And that, that's the scary part. And, you know, it comes down to, you know, again, the patterning, doesn't it, is that we cannot hand ourselves over, uh, you know, to a religion, to, um, you know, a dictatorship, to technology, and that we really do have to kind of take some ownership and... Um, and you know, uh, of our own choices in life and stop kind of handing our lives over to everybody else to run. And that means stepping out of the fear, stepping out of the control and doing the work you need to do to honor who you are and what you're here for. Which it sometimes confuses a lot of people what we're here for. Um, I think, I think with the billions of people that believe in religion, uh, there's a tendency I know in the United States and even in Israel, uh, which is almost 60% secular. Um, you know, the, the righteous part of religion and the questioning of that is, uh, I think, very good. I think they're starting to, to come out of that and, and look at it. When we were in Vietnam, um, and as I mentioned before in my book, it's, uh, it was very confusing. It was confusing to say that while you're praying for God, help that people were being destroyed around you and you were destroying all these other people that yeah. were also yeah. God's help. Where's the love? Isn't God meant to be love? <laughs> yeah. You know, and I don't think of, you know, I don't think God has time to be watching football games and, you know, rooting for rooting for one side or the other. But it's that type of thinking that prompted me to uh, write my book, mm -hmm. Looking for God within the Kingdom of Religious Confusion. And there is a confusion, such an enormous confusion, because, you know, why is it that um, we have, A, so many religions? And, and what is this issue with my religion is better than your religion, and so therefore you should be wiped off the face of the earth? Um, you know, when you, as again, as the Pope said, which is so absolutely true, your faith should be based in love and kindness. That should be the fundamental of it. And when you really do look at religions, that basis is there. It's just that man misconstrues it for their own game, don't they? Exactly. And that, you hit on the key word before, control. Mm -hmm. And how do you control the people? And that's, that's basically, I, I call this in my book, a yoke of religion. That, that just kind of bears you down, that even growing up as a Catholic, I was always confused because I couldn't go to the church with my friends down the street, else it would be a sin, a Methodist church. Um, and so your, your mind is restricted, and just think we are a relatively, or we call ourselves, a relatively intelligent society that has advanced. But now you take the third world, 
And those people, they thrive on religion. The religion just controls everything over there. So yeah. you're wondering how you make changes here without making changes somewhere else. And since since we're in so many different classifications of supposedly intelligent versus, you know, uh, Bush people, per se, mm-hmm. how do you get everybody on the same page, or do you get everybody on the same page? And that was the premise of my book, is that I didn't want to get anybody off their religion if they wanted to believe in religion, or if they didn't want to believe in religion. My point entirely was to say, you believe your way, but don't criticize me if I believe in another way. Precisely. I mean, that is that free will that we talk about and that everybody's trying to take away from us. Uh, as a human being, what are we here for? We're here to serve one another. We're here to grow. Um, we're here to uh, find a meaningful purpose in our lives. And we're, we're meant to be interactive creatures. We're meant to be people that participate and help one another. We're meant to be that village. And that village should not, and nor do we have the right to praise judgment on other people for being different and when you look at children and you know they just don't see black white pink yellow or anything right they just see another child to play with and i think the That's animal the kingdom well the the animal kingdom right now is teaching us how to be human beings we're seeing animals that are meant to be mortal enemies playing together sleeping together loving together and it's it's showing us that it's all vibration everything is all about energy and if we take away the stigma and this judgment and just look at things for what they are, based in love, based in kindness, we would be a, a much healthier global society. I agree. It's, it's how, do, how do you go about it? How do you, how do you get someone to say, I'm not going to be controlled by this anymore. I'm going to believe in it, but I'm not going to be controlled by mm-hmm. it. Because of that factor of control. And on the other hand, religion gives such a, a community to many people that believe you go to you know you go to church you go to the mosque whatever you go to you've got people in there that are supposedly uh, thinking the same way you are and believing the same way you are um, and, and it's I, a camaraderie yeah. you know it's, it's a community as you say it's a camaraderie and if it's really based in that love and kindness um, it's supportive and it's celebratory and, and it means it's a community that's there for each other and that's really what it's meant to be about Exactly. But it's not in many cases. In some cases it is. There's a lot of good also being done by religion. But there's, there's probably more hate and distrustful things. It's, when the Roman Catholic Church uh, found the bishops, I was thinking to myself, you know, the bishops who abused the children, which is just unbelievable, but that's been going on since... Beginning religion. of time, yeah. yeah. It's... Um, what my parents would have said if I came home to them and said a priest touched me. Mm-hmm. In that day and age, back in the 50s, um, I don't think they would have believed me. That's why the people that came out were probably, I think, in their 40s and 50s. Um, but it's... Uh, and and it's you look at the, the movie thing. that won the Oscars, Spotlight, which was spotlighting this issue. Yeah, going back to your time, um, right. and and it's as you said, many years later, it coming out and everything being covered up, and even you know there was one little snippet I saw there of a priest who who didn't look upon it as sexual abuse, uh, and you know because some 
of the church type thing they had misconstrued it and looked at it in a different way and didn't even own it as a sexual abuse um and you know this is again religions covering things up instead of owning it you can't ask your congregation to stand in truth and let god be your judge if you yourself are casting sin and i think that yeah, it, that's part of the stuff that is driving people away from mm -hmm. the strict adherence to a religion um so w when you take a look at that there are some signs that maybe we're getting smarter in some areas and you know uh, to bring this to the surface and that's going to take some time to do but as a positive stroke there's a if they didn't bring that out, no one would ever have known about it or believed it. Mm -hmm. So we go back to just the way that uh, how long does, while technology is changing so rapidly, man's mind isn't. Because it's still full of the control and the um, a lot of hate. And you, you want to build love into it. But it's funny, you go to a Catholic church when I was uh, when I was ever going to Catholic church and everybody's in there and they're standing when they're supposed to, they're kneeling when they're supposed to. And then you get out in the parking lot right after church and nobody will let you in, you know, trying to get out. Yes. <laughs> people people horns and you go, wow, this is something's wrong here. You know, so everybody was nice while they were in church and but it didn't, it didn't necessarily work out that way. I lived in a cottage in South Africa in Cape Town, um, and the entrance to our cottage was down a narrow lane. And across the road, just the main strip, um, there was a, um, a liquor store and a church side by side. So the liquor store, busy all week, with everybody going to go and get their liquor. Closed on Sunday, and the church is busy. They would park in the middle of the street. They would park outside of our gates. We would have to walk on their car to get out. And it was like, well, I've gone to church, so I've been abstained from anything I've done all week. And then Monday, right back at that liquor store again. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so it seems to be, it's only, it's only Sundays. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah, back to the swear, back to the cigarettes yeah. and the... Well, let's, but, uh, have a, let's have a look at the political view today because, you know, you mentioned Bush, but, you know, right now, you know, as a Canadian looking at what's going on in your, in your American forefront there with the election, um, uh, I'm, I'm a Bernie fan. I'm going to put that out right now. And I loved his reproach when, you know, they said to him, what religion are you? And he said, you know, I am uh, a religion of unity. Uh, when you hurt, I hurt. When when you celebrate, I celebrate. It's about unison, and that's very much my platform. And then you look to the other side, which is less to do with faith, from uh, Mr. Harry. Um, it's to do with hysteria, and um, and and stirring it up, you know, and dictatorship, and this whole pledge allegiance. And now you've got everybody doing the Hitler sign. And uh, I don't know if you saw that one thing where the guy elbowed a guy that has been escorted out, and then he says afterwards, oh, he deserved it, he's un-American, if I see him again, I'll kill him. Fortunately, they did arrest him. There's already been one guy that's killed his neighbors for not speaking English. Is that how far is this going to go before America wakes up to what is happening? It's, uh, we are not in a good position. It's, no. Uh, it's unfortunate that there's not two people or even a couple that you say, okay, we've got some candidates to choose from. Uh, Sanders has great ideas, and you're more used to a socialistic society than we are. Mm -hmm. I think I'm you just, desperately need one. 
I mean, I said, well, are you going to have the balance? <laughs> I'm not that much of an expert, but I think there's pros and cons to, to both of them. Um, but as much as you talk, and as much as they all talk, it's how do you get it done in America? Mm -hmm. You know, and where that jockeying comes into, when we talk about control and religion, and then you got the control in politics and who's controlling politics, the sad part is, again, that that we don't have some people that we, or myself, I'm not speaking for all America, that we could just say, there's somebody we want to put in office. Because if you look at the other side, then you have Hillary. Hillary's been around too long. Exactly, I agree. She's, you know, she is the old school if you want to talk about it. Absolutely. There's too much contaminated on her. There's no way okay. she could come forward with a clean slate. Yeah, and she, she's got some of this other stuff going on if, you know, see what the FBI does with their classifications, but there's so much of that stuff going on, and it's not just America, it's it's all over, we yeah. just allow it to be publicized, and we just follow it, and the news media just picks it up and allow to run with it, and... Uh, you see, this is where I think technology is marvelous, because the media is misconstruing and only putting out what they want to, and of course right now they're putting out stacks of hate, Bernie. And then you've got people, you know, um, that you know are the the political celebrities, if you would, if you would like to put it, on their shows, that are having these people on, and they're coming out with the hate bashing, and and he holds them accountable. Precisely, what are you hating? Oh, you're hating the fact that he wants to actually uh, bring you know free education and medical to to America, where you know there's so many other countries in the world that have this. What's so wrong with that? Um, and, and you're seeing the internet following and the backing of Bernie, which is done by the people. It is a people's movement as opposed to an establishment movement, which we're seeing on the other side. Yes. Yes. You, you've, you've got both of, those, uh, both of those things going on. And the fact is, it doesn't, and, and we're really not sure as far as I know. I mean, of course, these are just... Uh, for the conventions, about what the populist number really would be to support a Trump, mm. and whether that would be sufficient if there's that many people so disgusted. Uh, he's picked up on, you know, I mean, like any other dictator or anybody else has picked up on, you pick up on, you know, what's hurting the people. And with all his media, he was able to get out there. Uh, people took him, you know, as a joke. And they don't have a great rating down here for Congress. They're about 15% that anybody thinks something's getting done. Yeah. So they're wondering whether somebody can go in there and just, you know, rattle everybody and get things done. But, again, I, I just kind of sit here and go, here's another election where there's all these promises from everybody, from both sides, and still the roads are deteriorating. Nothing's getting done internally. Uh, so it's... There's an imbalance, as, as with anything. You know, when you've got so many people that have been in the ivory towers for so long and they're so didn't disconnected to the ground, you know, they don't realize the ground is crumbling underneath them. And, you know, you, unfortunately on your Republican side, there isn't one person there that you can look at because you've either got hate rhetoric or you've got this you know take women back to the dark ages you know barefoot and pregnant at the sink 
um, uh, or, you know, to I don't think that religion should be in politics. You can say this is my faith and what drives me, but no way should you bring religion to a political table and represent the whole of your country because you're not doing that. Um, I also don't understand how somebody can make a statement, I can go out and shoot someone today and I'll still have supporters, and how that is considered legal and wasn't an instant ban from the Republican Party. I, I really, this is something that's so mind-boggling, and I talk to people around the world about this, is that how he's still allowed to, who is pulling his strings behind there, who wants him in power so badly that they'll let him run rampant like this? Yeah, and I, and I agree. And I mean, he has made some comments that are just totally non-U.S. Forget about Republicans. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's just not the way we think, um, and rightfully so. But probably the reason he wasn't taken off is because, you know, there's a 5,000-seat theater. He invites 30,000. They battle to get in there. Mm-hmm. He overflows it from a celebrity standpoint, and then when he said that, the crowd got into it. And so he was getting feedback from the crowd as what he was doing was saying the right stuff. Yes. Which, when you look at it afterwards, and you kind of, you know, but it also goes to show the underside of what's been happening for years and years and years in America, and that there is a silent majority that's getting a little ticked off. And but you know, it, they but always focus on the they always focus on the negative through news. I think, and I don't want to sound old fashioned, but I think news should go back to six o'clock and ten o'clock at night. I, I agree with hour. you. You know the CNN effect, I call it. You know the hysteria effect. Let's let's take a pimple and make it into a volcanic eruption. They're very good at that. Exactly. Take one person out of seven thousand. And let's just focus on that one person that does something wrong at a rally or says something wrong yeah. at a rally. Um, so I mean, I think I think the media it, it's just too much. It's not a it's not a news source anymore. It's a speculation source. Well, what we call it, excuse the expression, is a shit stirrer. Yeah, exactly. Got <laughs> <laughs> to figure what the heck can they say? You know. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and it's backfiring. You know, the, there was a guy that um, is apparently you know kind of normally pro Republican and um, and anti socialism, and uh, they were you know ready to kind of completely have him slice and dice Bernie and socialism. And he says there's different types of socialism, and he is of a liberty socialism, and I will back him. And the woman from CNN was just like a gob. <laughs> you know, she, she thought this was going to be a slice and dice, and this is and this is something that I also find funny, where he'll make a statement: I only surround myself with the most intelligent people. And then you've got people who go, yeah, let's kill, let's kill, let's beat up, you know. And it's like, oh, you know, and that comes down to us, folks, is that where are we going to draw the line? Where are we going to step up to the plate and say, we're not going to tolerate this anymore. It is about unison. We should be colorless and look to the character, the integrity, the heart and soul of a person, not their religion, not their sex, not their color, not their economics, and start coming together in unison, um, because really well, that's the only thing that's going to heal the planet, never mind the country. I agree, I, and I, I wish that could happen in the short term. It's going to take a while. It means everybody has to step up. 
But that's again going back to and getting everybody on a level playing field, and you wonder how that's going to happen. By people I, inspiring. You know, I, I think that's what you know. You need somebody who inspires that movement and, and liberates in that inspiration. And as they do that, the domino effect happens. We've seen it work on the hysteria. Why can't we see it work on, on the solution side? Right, if you get the right people in there. But the right people are usually obligated to um, high finances from, you know, from the outside. So you can't get anything done. So the me- even the, and I, I think that a lot of, I can't say a lot of people I know, uh, Obama did nothing to unite the country. He didn't divide it, like Trump's words, but I don't think he did anything to unite the country. I think people were fed up with that. I think people are fed up with just being fed up with politics. But yeah, I think we have to look at Congress there. They did everything in their power to make sure that he that they would block him at every turn. And you know, they there you talk about division, that division was there when he came in and they stood strong in that division and were not going to bend. So I don't think we can put it all on him. I think we have to look at the people that were there to support him for the good of the country that decided to stand against him no matter how it hurt the country. Okay, that's one side of the story. The other side of the story is you start off your presidency with a health care bill that only the Democrats approve. No Republican input, nothing. So who started what? So, I mean, it's, it's dysfunctional to begin with, but there's, there's a story on both sides. And that was a huge Democrat where everyone voted on it before they even knew what was in it. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, I'm, that's, that's a key thing, isn't it? Like in, in any form of religion or any form of anything, is that decisions have to be made amongst the collective, not just the few. You've got the few people, like Bush, we're going to war. Um, and, uh, you know, we look at the, you know, the prophet, profiteers from war. Um, you know, they're looking at taking over countries and, and drilling for oil, for, you know, for the profit. And the people that pay for it are those that go to war, that come back with the post-traumatic stress. Let's, you know, get in on that. And it almost seems to be that the people are throwaway. You know, it's great if you go to war, the, the veteran, we, you know, we, we uh, admire the soldier as long as you come back whole and a hero. But don't come back broken. Don't come back in stress. We don't want to acknowledge that. And, and that was a big... Now, I could speak from the Vietnam era, and I can speak from the Gulf War era, which if we had one-tenth of the support that the Gulf War veterans had and the understanding, uh, we'd have been happy because when we came back from Vietnam, we were just criminals and treated as such. I know, I don't understand that. <laughs> so I see a big turnaround, and it's a big plus for the military. What happens, PTSD just didn't happen with Vietnam. No. PTSD, your father came back from World War II, your uncle came back from World War II, and in a lot of families, you can look back at the guy that's sitting there in the corner with a puss on and just controlling everything in the household 
the man had PTSD, which we didn't acknowledge, because we didn't know about it, really, in some cases. But I think because of what individuals have done, not the government, mm-hmm. individuals and groups have done to bring it to light, it's forcing the government to focus on it. It's forcing, they, they have a lot of different things to do, uh, but you run into the same problems. Uh, I associate PTSD with alcoholism. Now, of course, you, you're probably drinking if you have PTSD too, but the thing is, until AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, does not come into play until the person says, I have it. Mm-hmm. Then they can go and get help. Uh, to try and convince a young kid after he's just been trained and a little mind warp put in there that he's one of the baddest people in the world to say, I've got this illness, and it's a mental illness. And it makes me less of a man. Mm-hmm. If I... And that's the stigma why I wrote my stories, to, to, to really bust through, to really advise families if you see things going on. And you can see things because when... I think it's easier in a family where if the uh, veteran was married, you knew what he was before, and you know what he was when he came back, and you see that change. It's, it's very obvious. It's very clear. I've fought it for 35 years, but the, the symptoms of depression and anxiety and everything um, were there, just that nobody really knew about it or what to, to do with it. Know what to do with it. And so I did not... 35 years, part of it being that, hey, I'm a man. Those things happen. Mm-hmm. I'll take care of it, you know, el macho. Until you're sitting there one day, watching a TV show, watching the news, covering a new war in Asia, the Gulf War, and the bombs and the bodies weren't the bombs and the bodies that I saw. I saw the bombs and the bodies of the people I were with in Vietnam. And I found out that I needed to get help. And I still get help. I still go to weekly therapy. And that therapy is more so with a, a training. It's not just sitting there telling war stories. Mm-hmm. Because you really don't tell them. I think one of the biggest things with, with PTSD, whether it's from rape or whether it's from combat, is the fact that you think you could have done more to prevent things yeah. from happening. And in some cases, you can't uh, rape victim. You know, there's not much more you could have done. Yeah. You had a right to walk down the street. Um, we see it. We see it with you know abuse, um, relationship abuse. We're seeing it so much more in children now because bullying, um, and and it's a serious thing. And uh, you know, we need to teach people the skills of how to handle these things. You know, t- either to prevent or deal with them when they come up but also to understand the triggers that set it off um, so that one doesn't go down that, you know, that, that street. Um, I'm a victim of, a, of mental abuse, so um, yes, I know that I have those triggers, those certain things that, you know, that send me down that spiral. And uh, if we learn what those triggers are, it can help us. There's also some wonderful nutrients out there that help the brain kind of cope with things. But we really do have to recognize what this is, this disorder, and stop blaming the patient and understand it is the environment that we've created that has caused this problem. 
and you know you're taking 19, 18, 19 year old kids and putting them in a John Wayne movie. Mm-hmm. And the reality of war sets in, and it's a um, you you never realize from war that you could get down to such a primal being, and then you have to try and fit in again when you get out of the military. Yeah. And you have to try and, well, my, my life was spent trying to forget everything. I forgot so much, I even forgot a lot of my past. But that was a way for me to cope. Yeah. And uh, so people have different ways of coping. But I think the recognition of PTSD, I think the focus that's being put on PTSD, um, uh, that person that's not going to go there, isn't going to go for help until he really thinks that they need help. And by that time, he may have gone through three marriages. Yes. Uh, because you talk about control, you want to, you know, you want to control things. Um, so there's a lot, and it's it's kind of difficult again because we're talking about a mental disease. And I just know from, well, I just look at the information that goes out down here from the military uh, to veterans, and it's just every other page is just PTSD. So yeah. the awareness is there. Uh, the treatment took probably about 80% is there. I think they're finding new ways of treating it. I don't know how successful they're going to be. But um, even the, the therapy that I go to now is totally different than, than years ago. It's really understanding and getting out in front of, I didn't start the war. I just happened to be there. Yeah. And the bad things that happened weren't caused by me. Yes. They were caused by war. And that took that takes a long time to you know to settle in. But again, you got to get rid of the machoism, the ego. Yeah, and the yeah, ego. and and you're completely right on that. But you know, you're trained to be that warrior. You're trained to go out and kill, be a man. And then you come back, and we're telling you to be a man is not to kill, is to love, to show kindness and respect to one another. And it's a totally different mindset. You're trying to get them to switch channels, uh, without the help of actually understanding what they're switching to you know just like when you're turning a knob you know on a, on a radio trying to find a new channel you're going to go for a lot of static before you get tuned into the right channel and that that help should be there mandatory the moment they come home whether they even show uh, PTSD initially or not because you don't know how it's going to manifest um, you know it should be addressed immediately and and that's the thing though you brought up a good point there because I was just thinking that, okay, that in my case, you could have shown me some stuff on PTSD, but at that time, I didn't think I needed anything. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought that was life. I went through some bit, pretty bad crap, and, you know, I'll just kind of deal with it. So I'm just thinking now from my conversation that I mentioned before about, you know, they have notice very early on getting out of the military, but does that notice really do anything? Because if I'm not feeling ill, I'm not going to the doctor. And it just kind of manifests, and it kind of just builds, you know, and you did your job. and then it Trying to justify it, yeah. And it's right. the denial, isn't it? It is. Yeah. I, for me, it was. Yeah. And I think for a lot of people, again, I, you, it's like any other war that they send you out for. You know, the, the fundamentalist Islamics may get 79 virgins Mm-hmm. Uh, which I think are, are the original 79 virgins from decades, thousands of years ago. That's why they're still virgins. 
But people are taught to believe, and when you go to war, you're taught to believe that you're invincible as an 18, 19-year-old kid. You have to be. You, you can't go in there with fear. Right. Fear is going to manifest itself anyhow. It's a matter of uh, how you cope with it. So you're given many different scenarios and stuff, but you're not given what the body looks like after it's been blown up or what the person looks like after you've shot him. Um, so it's very dynamic, and it's, it's, it's tough. But th as long as you keep the focus on it, I think that's the best thing because it's going to happen to people at different times in their lives. And yeah, and, and they don't they don't have to actually have gone to war for it. You know, it can happen exactly. with any violence. I mean, we you know we see so much violence just on the street, and especially if, you know if the person is of any ethnicity or color. You know, we're we're seeing that, and it's you can't blame the people for being in that high alert, that high you know stress syndrome all the time, because you know where are they safe? Um, and it's. It really has got to be very volatile at the present time, and I think everybody everybody has to take a deep breath and go. We've got to stop this escalating and uh, and just look to to the lack of benefit of war. You know who is benefiting uh, the top few again uh, at the cost of the many, and um, you know we have to stop glorifying war too, right? Oh, absolutely. And now, though, you kind of wonder, because somebody's sitting here in the U.S. managing a drone, and all you see is the explosion. You go, oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. So we just took out that building. Yeah. But, but uh, when you talk about it, when you talk about growing from love to, you know, because that was the other thing is, okay, I was just in the jungle killing people. Now I guess God wants me to be good. So did he really want me to be killing those people? Yes. That's the contradiction, so isn't it? I'm confused as hell. Yeah. So as a matter of fact, that was the name that was the first name of my book. Uh, God must be pissed because I'm confused as hell. <laughs> and then I then I changed it. So you wrestle with this. Yes. And uh, it's tough. It's tough for, for anybody that goes through anything like that. And the, the another tough issue is that in PTSD, people weren't coming forward because they weren't in combat. Mm -hmm. And we had a person that, that I met one time, and he was in his 50s, and uh, he, he spoke, I never came forward because I wasn't in combat. And I said, well, what did you do? He said, well, during Vietnam, I was taking the bodies off, the body bags off of the planes that came in. And so he sat there and, and didn't think he qualified. Right. But think of an 18-year-old kid reaching in there, knowing there's bodies in there, and just unloading. Mm -hmm. So it, the thing is, it doesn't have to come from combat. It can come from a lot of different areas. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, the, you know getting back to, I think, to God, you know, and, and no matter what faith you are, it's... There isn't a God. If you look at the, the common denominator and the basis of all religion, there is no God that wants you to kill for him. And there is no God that says, go out and kill in my name, obliterate people in my name. That is the human uh, version of it that's been manipulated to suit the human uh, power and greed and control. And if we stop giving that, 
away if we stop giving that control you know away to others we start depowering them and we have to understand there is no god out there that i believe that would say to you um prove yourself by killing someone else because again i believe god is loving kindness um and truth and that truth is it's not about death it's about life and and you're totally you're absolutely right. I, I I was just jotting some notes down the other night, and I'm going, you know, even if we took the simplicity of, because as I go on to my book, that the only people that really, you know, one person at a time was focused on by God, I guess, and uh, most of that was in the cave. But the, even if we went back four thousand years, and you looked at the actual simplicity of religion, there were ten commandments for Moses. The Jewish religion now has 1,613. Wow. And, and that's the, uh, this was amazing, because after I had written a book, a uh, person, they had verdict teachings. I don't know if you've heard of that religion. That was kind of like the precursor of, well, it was the precursor of Hinduism. But they actually talked about an energy god, and not being able to define it, mm-hmm. which, which I thought was pretty cool for 4,000 years ago to talk about energy, and that's one of the reasons that, you know, uh, they talk about reincarnation, because that energy just stays out there and it can come back in other ways. But now Hinduism has over a thousand gods. So let's just say God said to these guys, you know, let's keep it simple. Mankind got involved. Yeah. And changed it all. And although nobody knows where the four scriptures, so who wrote the scriptures of, uh, the New Testament, if they would have just taken that four books that were similar of Jesus' teachings, the Beatitudes and everything, and kept that as the Bible, and discarded the Hebrew Bible, because that's where all the hate and killing is, Jesus never, I don't think any of his disciples are taught to kill or go out and kill somebody. No, it's about enlightenment. Everyone goes back and they keep that Old Testament on hand so we can talk about what you did 4,000 years ago and see here's my justification for it. But that would be a lovely teaching of Jesus and God if you want to go that way. But again, you come back that the, the purpose is control and you have to add more things into it. You have, as you go along, you've got to keep adding uh, more control into it. So it's, it was a very interesting, you know, research on, on the different religions. But the commonality was all there. Everything started yes. and, and grew the same. Uh, God told me this because these other people wrote it down wrong. Um, and where did you get that information from? Well, I got from somebody that wrote it 200 years yeah. after yeah. the person was there. Oh, okay, do you know who that person was? Well, not exactly. He said his name was Mark. Okay, so, so you go through this whole scenario, and then you go, now, you have to believe this. I want you to believe this. In order to remain in this group, you yeah. have to believe. And go forth and spread the word. So uh, the journey in my book is, uh, is, is just what that is about. It, it, I stayed with the uh, religions of Abraham because, of course, we have the one God, in the three different religions. But 
you have the same Father, the same God, even if you say religion is correct. Now, how do you just split that up and everybody's got different, you know, interpretations of what mm-hmm. it is? And right. If you've got the, uh, you know, the same God. So it's, um, it was a good journey to, to go through some of those because we talk about, in general terms, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. But then you get underneath it. And then you get the separations of the Catholics from Protestants and who hates who there, and one oh. person is doing the right thing, and uh, Shia and Sunni. And their discrepancy is because they couldn't figure out who would be the uh, succession of the Islamic uh, word. And you go, gee, did God do that? That same God we talk about, who's supposed to love you, did he do that? Mm-hmm. Did he say uh, I want you to be a Sunni and you to be a Shia and fight like hell. Yeah, I don't think I, so. <laughs> fact, I, also, I have a uh, I have a satire on my site that I that I also wrote that really pertains to that. It's called the Greatest Father. But it's um, it's very difficult. Now, how do you change that, and how long will it be before you? I hope we can change it before we go the other route. And. Uh, well, you know, at, from doing all of these shows, and we have over 1,400 on the station now, you know, the common denominator of what we do is, is people that are embracing the problem and presenting a form of solution. And, you know, the solution from everybody always is it starts within us. When we start changing our perspective, our approach, um, our point of view, when we start placing value love and respect upon ourselves we exude that out to others we raise other people's vibrations uh, we become more you know communal in the way that uh, we unite and it's not about competitiveness it's about collaboration we are seeing this movement happening and because of the internet we're seeing it far more evident have we got a long way to go oh hell yes we do but that shift and that movement is there and you talked about an energy god that is what i um believe in Uh, we are all energy and we all come from that energy source and by raising those vibrations and raising that frequency we are part of that divine energy and in itself it starts inviting people and uplifting people and i think we just have to take that ownership ourselves into choosing to be more, uh, you know, vibrant in the way we look at life and more embracing to what the beauty and the love is and start feeding that energy instead of, you know, focusing on all the things that are wrong. We can only change what is wrong by looking to what is right. And you, you are absolutely, you are absolutely correct. And that's, that's why when someone asks me about my writings, I say I write to open minds. Exactly. Um, it's a matter, and, and you're right, everything focused on the Internet usually is bad. But there's a lot of good coming out of the Internet. There's a lot more information that people in these third world countries are getting because of the Internet that they have never gotten. Exactly. Their only teaching has been, you know, of hate. And we talk about PTSD, and I, I thought about the children that grew up in those countries. We go to war. We do things for maybe two years, three years. Max is as combat veterans. They live it. Yes. Every day. Yeah. They have no idea who's going to be there the next day, what's going to happen, or whose head is out there on the, you know, on the dirty street. And this is how they're taught. So the internet, I think, 
while we always talk about cybersecurity and all, yeah, that's important. But the other important thing is is that the information that people are getting that is contrary to what they've been taught. And I think that's really valuable to doing this, to changing minds, talking about the confusion with religion, the uh, it's, it's okay to have a mental illness from all this stuff because you've been through some bad stuff. Exactly. Yeah, and take so away the shame, take away the guilt, take away the fear. You know, that's something that society imposes on you in its judgment. Take away that judgment. No, nobody has the right to judge you, but they do have the invitation to understand what you're going through and help you through it. And there is no shame in having post-traumatic stress disorder. There is no shame um, in looking at religion as a confusion and saying, hang on, you know, I'm losing my faith because you're mistruding it. And there is no shame to say no more war. Um, these are your rights to say and to be, and we have to step into those uh, because that's supposedly what free will is. And we need to take back our free will. Correct. Correct. And I'm just listening to you and, and going through the, maybe we have been making some progress. Maybe it's been small, but maybe as people we are making some progress again to open minds and just keep you know putting it out there because you brought up a good point before about um, we know what you've been through that's one of the biggest things with PTSD from a combat veteran is that I can't explain it to you because you'd never understand well yeah. yes we do understand and there's people around to talk to you who do understand and if not we'll find some people to talk to you understand and I, th I think that's a big part of anything it's it, you know again whether you take the trauma from PTSD from combat or anything else it's that getting that point across is yes people do understand is a big big plus and there isn't this thing of oh just get over it or suck it up that was what was told to my father when he came home from the war there was only two of them left in his squadron. He was a squadron uh, fighter pilot. Um, you know, what he had to see, he would protect the bombers. He would get the spies out in the middle of the night. You know, he went through it all. He was shot down. Uh, he was in the Navy before. He was sunk. He would never talk about the war. And there was two of them left. One of them just sat down and said, I'm tired and died. And my dad died at 45 of heart attack, which he got when he was 40. Um, and it, it was constantly living in that stress stress syndrome when he drove too fast he drank too fast everything because he never knew if tomorrow was going to be there exactly and that's what that's a terrible thing that you learn about war yeah tomorrow is going to be there or may not be there right. so enjoy today or you don't even enjoy today you just get frustrated with it but um yeah they didn't they, there was a movie you've probably seen it uh, years ago with Patton yeah George C. Scott and he actually smacked a soldier in that movie because they called it shell shock back there. Yeah. He said, just get back into it. And that's basically what it was. That's basically how the military thought. That's basically what the hospitals thought. Yeah. They weren't trained for any of that stuff. And today, the key thing is, if anyone gets a message from this, is that there are people that do know what you went through. It's not new. There are people that can help you with this. And you've got to take the step to get help. There's you've that got to free recognize will. 
Mm-hmm. You've got to recognize the symptoms, which are stuff out there. But I think it's important, too, that the families understand PTSD from combat. And they take not only when the veteran says, you know, I don't want to talk about it, but get some education in reference to what it is. Mm-hmm. What's going to happen, how it's going to happen, why it's going to happen, why the depression, why the anxiety, why the bitterness, why the control. And get that information so you know what that kid is going through. And I think that might help families understand, because even families, when I came back from Vietnam, they were sent a letter. It says, um, you know, your son's coming back home. There's a paragraph and basically said, you know, um, just try and be nice. Don't <laughs> 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 so mind if he wets on the floor and stuff. But right. That was basically the whole message. Today's message is totally different, and I think I think if you just leave it up to the vet, he may not be able to see or she may not be able yeah. to cure themselves. And and it really, the whole family needs to be a part of this, doesn't it? Because they need to understand how to deal with it, what to do, what what triggers not to do. Um, don't be reactionary, you know. Be nurturing, be loving, uh, you know. Know what to do. Uh, when they step up or if they are kind of behaving out to step away so that there isn't engagement. You know, I think I think everybody who has a soldier coming home or anybody who's known somebody who's gone through a trauma and they have this is to actually understand what it is they're going through so you yourself can be part of the healing um, aspect of it um, by knowing what to do. Empower you so you can help them. Exactly. And that's that's a great, great point because of the fact, again, if you leave it up to the vet, I'm going to push you away. Yes. I'm going to push you away because I don't want to really tell you those stories. And then you start to avoid things. You start to avoid your triggers, as you mentioned before. And you're starting to pull away from society. Well, your family doesn't really know why you're doing that. You don't even know why you're doing that. But if both sides had an understanding that it's not unique, it's not new, that that's what happens before they separate, before they ruin marriages, before they, you know, do other things, but commit suicide, which is the biggest, right. 22 veterans today. I know. But, uh, so I, I think it's as important for the family to understand it as for the vet, because you won't get it from the vet. Yeah. You'll get pushback. Yeah. You'll get pushback, you don't understand, you don't need to understand and you don't have to know how bad I was as a person. And it's also not about them immediately going on drugs. You know, one of the shows I did was on a wonderful um, ingredient called Q96. And it's it's a brain food, and it you know equilibrates the chemistry in the brain, and it's helped so many people with uh, post-traumatic stress syndrome, the war veterans, you know, find that balance between those extreme emotions so they can actually start dreaming again or believing in a future again but if they're living in that turmoil all the time you know especially to due to this imbalance of chemistry going on in there how can they believe in a tomorrow they're still stuck in yesterday and they stay stuck in yesterday mm-hmm. I you know I did uh, as I mentioned I tried spent 30 years trying to forget now I had to forget everything in my past because I'd have to go back through Vietnam if I tried to go back to my childhood. And that's been a struggle for me. It's been a real struggle for me today to look at pictures and go, wow, I remember that because I haven't been back there in over 60 years. Mm-hmm. It's 
kind of sad in a way, but that was my way of justification of hiding it. And then if I hid everything or I just forgot about everything and then worked on the next day and just forgot about that day when that was over with, then I just focused myself into business and just kept my head down and, you know, worked that way. Um, so it's going to have people differently at different times. Mm-hmm. And I think the only thing you can do, like, like yourself, Sarah, that uh, the wonderful stuff that you do is you just got to keep the message going. Yeah. It's going to hit people at different times. That person has to understand um, what it is he has because it is going to materialize in some way. Some people handle it very well, but I thought I handled it very well. And uh, that well, we, we know for a fact, we know for a fact, even long before we recognize this in, in our veterans, um, you know, you talked about rape survivors. We know for a fact that it will always come out somewhere along the line and bite people back in the butt if they don't deal with it right there and then. It could be 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, whatever. Whatever trauma somebody has been through and they try and coat over and ignore, you know, just for the survival instincts, it will come back out where it has to be dealt with. And the sooner they can, obviously, the better. But you also have to allow that healing to happen as it's meant to happen and just be there ready for when, you know, it does. You're right. It's a, it's a healing process. Mm-hmm. And that's why I mentioned that even though you educate uh, veterans today coming out of the military, if they don't feel like they have an issue, if they don't accept that there's a mental condition, then it, you have to wait for that healing process to take place until they recognize yeah. what it is. And that's, you know, that's tough on both ends. And it's, it's a form of a grieving, isn't it? You know, everybody grieves at a different level. I mean, you're grieving for, you know, you went to war one person, you came back a different person, so you're grieving for the loss of who you are, and you're also grieving for the loss of the lives that you took. Um, and that is being a human being. You know, that's somebody who shows that has a conscience and that cares. And you have to go through that mourning and that, that grieving and that forgiveness in order to embrace a new journey in life. And forgiveness is a key word yeah. that I have just learned at yeah. 60 mm-hmm. to forgive myself that just because I was at the bottom of the hill in elephant grass, I could have done something for my buddies that were killed up at the top of the hill. And for 40 plus years, yeah, I've been challenged with that. So uh, it's that guilt. It's the there's a lot of stuff to it, but they have it. They're pretty smart today as far as what it is now. How you cure it? There's got to be many different ways. Yeah. But again, I think the message we can just give is: yes, people do know what you have, and people can relate to it, and people are there to help. And don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. Um, the courage is in owning it and saying, I need help. You're more of a hero to say, I need help, than suppressing it, hiding it, and letting it manifest in a negative way. Because it only manifests bad things. Yeah. yeah. It just keeps manifesting the, the worst, not the good, not the kids you saved and work, or anything like that. It just manifests the worst. I did a show on on homelessness and somebody who wrote a book of homeless stories and so many veterans there because they just couldn't integrate back into life and then so therefore they were tossed aside as an embarrassment and government and people didn't want to know 
um, you know, again, if you weren't that hero with the medals, then forget it. And, um, you know, I think one of the huge things that we need to look at in society is that the wealth, the true wealth in the world lies in the people, not in the commodities, not in the money. The power is in the wealth that you have within your people. They are the biggest commodity to this planet in their beautiful worth. And we need to start embracing that wealth and worth that lies within us. That's great. Because you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, we've been saying this for so long, and yet we still try and get caught up by the powers to be that uh, we sometimes lose perspective of the change we can make working together. If we do start thinking along the same lines, um, if we do gain that knowledge, that everything that you've been taught, guess what, there may be some things that aren't necessarily correct and make sure you have the facts, but we go through life like we go through watching the news. And as soon as someone says, I watch Fox News, you know, okay, they're a Republican. And I said, well, don't you watch other news, too, to get a different perspective? Yeah. Because you, if you watch CBS, NBC, whichever you're, you know, you're a Democrat. I said, so don't maybe you watch two news things to get different ideas? Nope, I just watch this one over here. Right. Well, then you're going to stay in that rut because that's your only focus. Yes. Um, and we got to teach people to, to take the information and open your minds and turn the station and get another opinion and then maybe take a third station that's more neutral and then make your judgments as far as what's happening. But we're kind of stuck in that syndrome yes. of one channel. One channel, one, one channel. religion, one this, one that. Yeah, we've got to get out of the groove. You know, I always say that we've got to get out of our heads. Um, the soul, the heart, and the spirit are energies that lie within us that are connected to the divine whatever faith you are and if we don't invite them into the conversation and understand them from their perspective we're never going to understand what we need to know when we need to know it the mind is is software it's computer it's data and it'll go around and around and around regurgitating the same information until you inject it with another perspective the heart will give you you know the kindness the loving and the compassion the soul will give you that divine connection that intellect and the spirit will show you how to get into action and we really have to start inviting the, all of our, ourselves you know our inner selves to the conversation in order to open up those minds get off the single channel yeah exactly and and that's really important. And also religions have to stop, you know, um, condemning, blasting, and you're going to hell and stop preaching and start showing love and compassion and kindness and camaraderie and collaboration. If they want to survive in the light that they're meant to be in, they've got to step up and start being, you know, more caring and loving instead of more, you know, damning and condemning. You think it would be able to be think the change would come from religions, except for the control factor. Yeah. But that would be the perfect place for this to start taking place. Mm -hmm. Because that too brainwashed everybody to begin with, yeah. <laughs> as far as thinking, thinking only on one channel. Um, so if they could come about and just, and there are some, there are some groups out there that try and do that, um, you know, teach the different faiths, I think the Unitarian 
religion is one where, you know, and they bring in uh, Jewish people, Islamic people to teach and stuff, so you understand what the other religions are. And they still have the fear, I think, the religion is that they still have the fear that if they do allow you to get knowledge, you'll go somewhere else. Yeah. But, the, you know, people are going somewhere else. That's the beauty of the Internet. I've interviewed a lot of millenniums, and it, each one of these people have, are, are stepping out into the philanthropy, into about contributing, into finding solutions, into enabling people. And they're not into the glitz and the glamour. They're into this world is a mess, and this is what I can do to contribute. And this is why I'm saying the Internet, yes, has bad. But you can choose what you look and what you view and what you what you want to educate yourself with. The knowledge is there on the Internet and the movement that we're seeing through the Internet, through radio shows like mine, you know, other podcasts, through uh, YouTubes, um, you know, through people sharing blogs. Um, it's out there. And if we keep that momentum going where we're sharing the stories, we're bringing light to the situation, we're inviting people to be a part of the solution we will change this world around but we've got to you know step out of the the moaning and the groaning and go into what can i do to be a part of the change exactly and you're right we have more tools today to do that than we've yeah. ever had in the past exactly so let's let's use the tool um you know for its benefit and use it wisely because that's what will make the difference well, this has been absolutely delightful. I could talk to you for a long time. Uh, but let's uh, let people know how they can buy your book, Looking for God uh, Within the Kingdom of uh, Religious Confusion. Also, also how they can uh, read The Demons of War are uh, persistent. And, uh, you know, how people can get hold of you. Okay. I'd like to do that. Thank you. And thank you again for the opportunity. It has been a great discussion. Ah, it's been wonderful. Um, my website is... Uh, a W Shade, A W S C H A D E dot com. And on that website, uh, you'll have links to Amazon for the book or the Kindle. It's also an audio format. But you'll also find three stories on there, and two of them dealing with PTSD. Uh, the Demons of War are Persistent and Not Alone. They're very short stories, but I, I think if people would read them, they'll understand what's going on in the mind of a, a veteran. Mm -hmm. And there's also a satire. Now, those three are free to download and pass out to whomever you want to pass them out to. Uh, feel free to send those out. The more vets we help with PTSD, the, the better. Exactly. Um, and if you need to reach me, my email is awshade again at gmail.com and if anybody has any questions or um, of anything that I've done please feel free to you know contact me and I even have some sources in the US and uh, where, where they can seek, seek help for PTSD wonderful and this is what's needed when we learn that there are solutions that there are options that there is knowledge that's when we need to reach out and learn as much as we can so we can pass it on share it and enable people and that's we haven't got the excuse because the knowledge is there what we do have to do is step up grab that knowledge and help whoever we can with it exactly and take that take those stories uh, for PTSD and send them out to as many people or whatever your media is and hopefully we'll save a veteran from suicide and you know for you a veteran but anybody out there that's suffering from it um you know if it's 
it's not just for veterans it's for everybody that's suffering that and there's so many people that are today and uh, you know we need to take the confusion out of religion when when we take uh, away the control and the doctrine from it uh, and start looking at the loving kindness f uh, fundamental of it we'll find our faith again and we also look have to look at you know who is inciting war and uh, you know you can you can empower the people that are the warmongers or you can empower the people that are the peace seekers. And again, it's your choice and your action will speak and dictate as to what you receive. So don't sit back on the sidelines, step up. And if you want peace, you want solution making, then make sure that you back that person that is actually out there that's going to present that. If you want hate, war and warmongering, remember you're going to take somebody else down with you. And can you have that on your conscience? So the choice is ours, isn't it? And we have to step up and own it. It is. It's all ours. And you have to step up and accept that you could have something, but there's uh, there's always somebody out there that can work with you and relate to your suffering. So it's key. That's right, Sarah. Just get the information out there, and we'll do all the rest from there. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story, Arthur. Uh, very much needed. Thank you for sharing all your perspectives, and it's been an absolute delight having you on the show. I've had a fantastic time. Thank you so much, sir. Pleasure, pleasure. Folks, remember, it's up to us. Step up. Let's be a part of the solution. Let's stop allowing the problem to con uh, continue. Until next time.